0: what's up everybody it is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast coming at you once again we are not taking this week off even though july 4th holiday is coming up maybe next week we'll we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that but uh good good to be back talking some Bengals football i'm anthony kazenza joined by john and by the way folks john uh reminded me i did know this but he reminded me before the show that his birthday is next week so happy early birthday buddy
1: and happy early birthday to my mom. She's turning. as well. Um, yes. I don't What's remember. It I share? think it's, I think it's 21 plus a handful of other numbers. <laughs> I think is what I'm supposed to say. Um, but yes, th- thank you for the early happy birthday wishes and a nice hat to you as well. I, I mentioned earlier in the show that I didn't recognize Anthony's hat for our YouTube listeners. It's the color rush one, but just looking at the intro of our show, I can see it on like two or three of those clips. <laughs> so that's just a lack yeah, of awareness yeah. on my part, but a nice hat is a nice hat.
0: Oh, thanks man. I appreciate it. And one of them one of them to your uh to excuse you a little bit. One of them was an, one where unfortunately you were not part of it where we talked with Ike Taylor. That was that was a fun one too, but I uh, I appreciate that. That was actually a birthday present for me last year for my brother-in-law. So, uh birthday talk galore here. We've got our buddy uh Malik Wright joining us. Good to good to hey. see him. Hey Malik, come on the show, bud. We got to get you on the show soon. So, uh come on the show if you are Willing enable my friend. Uh, look, we're gonna. It's a little bit of a lighter show because we're now no no practices, all that kind of stuff. As we noted a few weeks ago, Zach Taylor cut practice early, and uh, I guess that's you know. There's good things. There's some cautious things to to take out of that, but he cut practice early. We're gonna be doing training camp, and by the way, we are still working on this charity event Bengals charity event we're putting that together we've john and i've already been brainstorming that so look for that sometime uh, late next month we're going to be kicking that off too so we've got some good ideas with that but that being said john let's kind of talk through some of these headlines and one of which is with zach taylor and this was not a complimentary one and this is from our our buddies over at all bangles james rapine blake jewel the the entire uh, Nicole Zimbro, the entire now. crew. Yeah, Bengal Sands, yeah. Uh, the entire crew over there, they're building an army, much like we have amassed at Cincy Jungle as well and on our podcast channel. But this was an interesting one, um, and it did make me feel old because I am as old as Zach Taylor. So um, anyway, <laughs> former NFL executive Zach Taylor, quote, not qualified to be the head coach of the Bengals. Just who... It was that that mentioned this, John Michael Lombardi, a guy who has been in and out of the league himself, and in and out of general manager, I think, jobs and/or um, you know other other jobs within front offices. Uh, Cleveland, I think he was with the Raiders, the uh, the former Washington Redskins, I think at the time. I don't, I don't know. I, I have to go look at his resume there. But at any rate, here's the quote: "Quote, tremendous hot seat this year at the at the draft. I basically came down to." Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase from LSU, and they basically let the coach pick him. Uh, Mike Brown's not going to go another year, Lombardi said. And uh, Zach Taylor's performance as a Bengals head coach, let's maybe plug the ears on this one, I guess, is worse than David Shula. That was really bad. I mean, really, 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 really bad. And this is worse. He goes on to say essentially, Zach doesn't bring any credentials to the offense, and the offense has gotten worse. If you bet on Zach Taylor, or a betting network, why would you ever bet on him? He's demonstrated nothing in terms of managing the team, managing the game. I think the seat's hot. I think it's red, red, red hot. Um, And I may have skipped a couple lines there, but I think the horse was beaten to death on that one, but you get the gist. What do you make of it, John?
1: I think he said also that he wasn't, he's not sure he's qualified to coach the university Cincinnati, which, I mean, they got a pretty good coach there in Luke Fickle anyway, so I'm not sure that Taylor would get the job. It's funny how he came from UC in the first place, but it's a weird question to ponder. Like, How do you classify who is qualified and who isn't qualified to be a head coach, especially one of an organization that has not known a lot of success in the last, I don't know, three decades? Obviously, the comparisons to Shula kind of sting, but that was – maybe the initial fear with the hire in the first place. Is this another case of latching onto a head coach that's going to lead the organization to nowhere in three to four years? Unfortunately, that is the pace that is going on right now. It's a weird issue question to kind of tackle because there's not a ton of strong, tangible evidence that supports the counter to what Lombardi is saying, but it's also just a a crazy kind of thing to say. Like who, who are we to, dignify who is and who isn't qualified to be a head coach in the NFL. Like for all intents and purposes, Zach Taylor is a very smart individual. He knows how to corral veterans in the locker room. We've heard testimony of that from several players. I think he has the full support of that locker room and also his assistants and the front office as a whole. I think that's more than just the Bengals being traditionally loyalists and just sticking to, to continuity for continuity's sake. I think there is some evidence that he has the classifications that of a potentially successful coach in the future. But right now it's hard to dispute Lombardi's claim just outright, even though it is just kind of outlandish to hear. It's very jarring. It's a very jarring take in general, just to say the head coach is not qualified to be a head coach. I think I've only ever felt that about maybe one, and that was Hugh Jackson during the Cleveland Browns days. And honestly, Zach Taylor's record isn't that much better than Hugh Jackson's after two years. So uh, again, like I want to defend Zach because I, I, you know, just from the person that he is, and just of the qualities that he's shown to have, despite the record. But it is kind of hard to go two against Lombardi because the evidence kind of is stacking up against Taylor right now.
0: Multiple layers to this one, and Stuart Monty in our live chat mentioned it a little bit here, talking about it's the chase pick hate. I think it's it's a little bit of a lazy narrative in that you know some of these folks are still not over the fact that the Bengals did not take. Who was deemed the top offensive lineman in this year's draft? Instead, they went wide receiver. Um, look, this is this is a big year for Zach Taylor, and his team has to show a lot of growth. This team now officially has his thumbprint all over the roster. He's had, you know, he's he's got the team has given him the uh, the kind of freedom, freewheeling in free agency to bring in some high-priced guys. Yeah, they missed out on some guys. They didn't re-sign some guys this year, but they've signed some big-ticket guys over the past couple of off-seasons. The, you know you look at the first-round picks in all three of Zach Taylor's drafts, offensive players, right? I mean, I, I'm trying to think offhand. I think in 19, first and second round, both offensive players. 2020 both offensive players in first and second round and then you know you get you go this year um, you've got offensive players in first and second round again so the guy who has the mind for an offense he has definitely been uh, given some control I think and who is brought in here and uh, you know a massive amount of guys that he has brought in have been on offense Um, the free agency side is especially the bigger signings have been a little bit more defense but Look, the fact remains what's interesting is he says there's no credentials there. Well, there's no credential there were no credentials there in 2019. Now he's got two years of head coaching experience in the AFC North. So to say that in 21, he does have head coaching experience. He does have credentials. The credentials that he does have with the six wins and one tie is not something that's to be, you know, that you can kind of say, Hey, you know, feather my cap here. But look, I I, I think that this is again, going back to a little bit of a lazy narrative in terms of who the Bengals chose or didn't choose in the draft. And then of course the record and all of those sort of things. But I, I think this team feel if you were to ask a lot of those guys, they seem to really like Zach Taylor. They seem to like the direction as to where they're headed. And I, I think here progress is the name of the game and we'll talk a little bit more about that too, but progress is the name of the game. And I think the Bengals could very well show quite a bit of progress this year based on how the roster is constructed.
1: And a guy like Mike Lombardi is not going to do the research on what Zach Taylor's players have said about Zach Taylor. That's not going to be part of his thesis here. Like this is just, <laughs> this is, I mean, this is, this is just him answering a question about a head coach who's won six games in two years. He's going off the top a little bit. He's got some NFL knowledge. He's just going with what he knows. I think the biggest thing that hurts Zach is that he's an offensive coach and the Bengals have been a bottom five offensive team ever since he took over bottom three. If you go by EPA, like there's nothing. And and even going back to before he was with the Bengals, like UC 2016, granted that team was just plagued by Tommy Tuberville's incompetence, but he was the offense coordinator there. And that was right before UC kind of got good again. They were a terrible offensive team. He only had a handful of games as an offensive coordinator in Miami. That was before Ryan Tannehill became the Ryan Tannehill that he was in Tennessee and then any success that, you know, the Rams had as an offense, like Zach is not going to get a lot of credit for that because that's Sean McVay's vehicle. So, you know, he's been kind of riding this wave as an assistant. And then all of a sudden got promoted to the highest coaching position that any guy can dream of in football. And the results have not been great on his expertise on his side of the ball. So until you see that, you know, consistency in that production over the course of a full season, he's going to be labeled as as a guy who's just way way in over his head. Then there were signs of progress last year. We can always point to October, that stretch, where they were legitimately top five offense, finally had this franchise quarterback clicking on all cylinders with the offense. But until that is seen over the course of the entire season and then gets the Bengals to be competitive, he's just going to be an offensive coach that can't generate a good offense.
0: I I just keep going back to, uh, for a lot of different reasons, The the one thing I kind of... Like you said, it's hard to argue some of the points from a macro perspective of what Lombardi said because the record is what it is. The Bengals' offensive, as you mentioned, has been ranked pretty low under an offensive-minded head coach, quote-unquote. But the one thing that I I do think, you know, I think if the Bengals are record-wise in a similar seat to where they were or have been the past couple of years, I think that we're looking at um, you know, I I do agree with the hot seat sentiment in that regard. I don't know that Zach Taylor would be given another year if we're looking at any, you know, basically under the Vegas line of what six and a half wins, I think is where the Vegas line has them right now. So I think if the Bengals fall under that this year and, or even if the first half of the season is abysmal before the buy, we could be having a completely different conversation. I think you and I think that this team, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we both believe that this team is, headed in the right direction, how quickly they will show maturity this year, how quickly they will show cohesion this year is another, is another matter. And how those two elements, maturity and cohesion, how many wins that will lead to this year. But I think if we're looking, uh, that's one element that really stuck out to me of the Lombardi quote via VISN was the hot seat factor. And if, if, Zach Taylor can't scrape together more wins. I mean, the bottom line is, I, I don't. Even though this is still a little bit of a project in in construction here, I don't know that he would be able to see twenty twenty two if the, if very similar results would be would be shown this year.
1: You do feel it's a little different. I think just since Burrow has been here, the attitude, the perception of the standard of success has been kind of raised, and it's hard to keep a a coaching staff and just a process together. If it's not showing results with the talent that has been accumulated in the past couple of years under that leader in Burrow, you're putting everything behind him and you, you need to show him that you're willing to commit to a standard of success that he is accustomed to and that he deems successful. I, I think I've gone back and forth on just the, the idea of Taylor being a mid-year fireback, you know, throughout this offseason. I think now I've kind of realized that even if he is like one in seven or one and eight entry and whatever bye week they have, I I don't know for a fact that they would actually fire him in the middle of the season. It's just not something that they do. But yeah, like it, th- there are expectations now to be competitive. to year three. You, you're tired of the excuses, and I think if you just give him all these excuses, I think that's going to rub a guy like Burrow the wrong way. So yeah, like this is the Bengals. They are in some ways complacent and, and content with keeping things the same for that's sake, but I think there is some some little bit of a difference in terms of just m- maybe the perception of what they deem successful and what they deem to be you know a, a long term solution or just getting things right right now. And I think that might work against Zach if things don't go right.
0: Yeah, the other facet to all this too, John, and I know you you'll be in agreement with me on this is the staff that Zach has amassed under him uh, in his first couple of years. You know, I mean, where Lou Anarumo, um, he he's as his he uh, seat should be hotter than <laughs> than Zach Taylor right 100%. now. Basically. Yeah. I mean, he, his, his seat should be way hotter than Zach Taylor at this point in time. We all know the Jim Turner issues, Brian Callahan. There's been some promise shown there. Zach Taylor has taken over, you know, kind of the lion's share of the play calling duties, etc. Now you have Frank Pollock helping out with the run game and, and all of that. But I mean, he brought in – the the issue with it is that he brought in a lot of inexperienced coaches underneath him. And Lou Anaruma was like his fourth or fifth choice for defensive coordinator if we were to believe the rumor mill that followed him. And I think that that has really handicapped this team. And now this year three thing where all of these guys now, they made a strategic move to keep the coordinators intact. They kept Zach Taylor. Three years now, This all of these guys have – the experience that they should need for their respective positions and that um, that should produce results, but it also then ha- makes other seats warm around Zach Taylor. I would think.
1: Yeah, pretty much like, and I know, you know fans and our comment section is going off about injuries and stuff. And it's just hard to keep relaying that year after year. If that, if that is a constant Um, but you know, Lombardi got his 15 minutes on our show. I think that's, I think that's about enough for him.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, we'll, we'll move on here. Let's, do you want to, do you want to do the, the poll or do you want to run through another headline or two? Let me, let me run through these quick headlines, John, and then I'll let you run through the, the, uh, athletic poll that we were going to talk about here i just want to do this real quick and i i'm going to do this because we did not do a water cooler chat this week we still may do one at the end of the year but or end of the week but we'll see basically pff continues to show a lot of love for the cincinnati Bengals. they have joe burrow and t higgins among top second year breakout candidates john um basically showing burrow showed flashes of strong play he led the nfl in 300 yard passing games with five through week eight and uh he was pressured 146 times in weeks one through 11 uh so basically there are a few receivers getting as much breakout buzz as t higgins by the way go back to our episode last week and listen to our state your case about the wide receivers and t higgins specifically but basically talking about his improvement here and then let's let's To kind of piggyback on that one, there is one where they have Jonah Williams being a potential third-year breakout guy. Uh, So PFF has recently been showing a lot of love for the Bengals, and again, it kind of plays into this whole third-year thing. A little bit of experience for some of these guys, and now they're getting more comfortable, and it could lead to, to a breakout and a lot more wins for this team.
1: There's such a dichotomy between the offense and the defense of this team. Like I think you mentioned, you know, in the three drafts that Zach Taylor's had, all six first and second round picks have been offensive guys. So I think that on offense, you're looking at a young and uprising group that's on the brink of reaching their potential, which is why you have a, a ton of buzz about some of these young guys kind of finally coming into their own and breaking out. And on defense, you just, it's, it's a unit comprised of a lot of veterans, a lot of guys who weren't drafted by by the Bengals, but a lot of guys who are established players just trying to become a solid unit after, you know, the Bengals defense has been trashed for the last three or four years. So the differences in, you know, the identities of both units is kind of interesting, which is why, you know, this team is kind of getting a little bit under the radar in terms of hype now because it's an offensive league and the offensive talent specifically on the young side is immense compared to the 31 other teams. Like there are definitely better offenses in the NFL right now, more established and known commodities on offense. But in terms of just youth upside and potential, I think the Bengals have kind of cornered the market in, in that sense. Cause you have Joe Burrow and T. Higgins entering their, their second years. You have Jonah Williams entering his second year on the field. Joe Mixon still 24, 25 years old is still trying to come into his own and obviously Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd is only still 26, 27. So, like, the differences in how we identify the offensive defense I think is very interesting, which is why you're seeing all these high pieces for
0: the for these offensive pieces. Yeah, and it's no surprise that the three guys that, you, that we mentioned there were two of them were first-round picks, one the number one overall pick of his respective class, Jonah Williams just outside the top ten of his respective class, and then, of course, T. Higgins, who was essentially a first-round pick the, t- the first pick in the second round. So, um, and I think based on our conversation last week, I think we expect some big things from T Higgins. I'm going to let you take the lead on this next one, bud, because you and I uh, will share the screen here. You brought this up. So uh, talk to us about Paul Daners of the athletic is, um, I guess, fan. I don't know what you, what you would call it, like a fan where you at poll. I don't know. I don't know. I think he's titled
1: the fan survey of 2021. Okay. I think the athletic does this uh, every single year or Cincinnati athletic does this Daner junior and Jay Morrison kind of combine and create this multi-question poll, basically like a consensus effort about where Bengals fans are at in terms of their attitudes and their expectations towards the organization as a whole and the team on the field. It's like a 20 something question survey. So we're just going to go through maybe a handful to start and we'll kind of start some discussions on what we think i think there's there's questions you kind of rate your feelings from like a one to five one being not not confident at all five being as confident as you possibly can be but i guess we got to start with the top what are your realistic expectations for the 2021 Bengals? we have top five draft pick again vegas is right about six and a half wins around 500 but miss the playoffs make the playoffs losing the first round or for the first time in 31 years advance in the playoffs.
0: Well, for me, for those of you who follow me on on Twitter, uh, I put something out about this. I think the Bengals will be hovering around five hundred. Give you know whether that's eight and nine, nine and eight, seven wins. I don't know. Maybe maybe ten is a little bit of a stretch there, and ten may get you into the playoffs. But I I have them at at around five hundred. Miss the playoffs, but make it an interesting season some playoff chatter towards the end of the season that kind of keeps them interesting. And uh, we see that growth that we're hoping for that we mentioned earlier. That's where I have them right around 500, but missing the playoffs.
1: I just realized that no NFL team can go 500 again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, where's Marvin Lewis? Where's Marvin <laughs> Lewis?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with that. And I, if the AFC North wasn't as stacked as it was, I think you could convince me that this team does make the playoffs and they very well might. They very well could. The NFL is a strange beast that is very unpredictable at times, but I think right now, knowing what we know about the Browns and Ravens, I think around 500, but just missed the playoffs is a a fair expectation. So we we can put that in there for both of us. Um, it's we'll about see, as
0: 500 how, as you can get here. By the way, from season. one <laughs> yeah.
1: There's no doubt that Marvin Lewis would have achieved that record if, if he had the chance. There's no doubt in my mind. Him and Jeff oh, Fisher just trade sure. those seasons back and forth. For sure, for sure. Um, uh, let's go with this one. How would you rate the job done by the Bengals front office this season from
0: a one to five? You know, I, I think I gave gave them a. Four on this, and it kind of depends on what you're asking here. You know, I think, um, part I I would go 3.5 if that was a choice, because you know, I liked a lot of elements of free agency. There are some other things I did not, and I feel like they they missed out on a couple of uh, acquisitions that would have helped them as well. And then, of course, you know, for talking about the fan engagement, for talking about the ring of honor If for talking, if we're adding all of that into this discussion, then we're talking more four or five, right? So it kind of depends on what specifically is being asked here. I guess if we're taking all of that into account, I just put it right in the middle at four. Four is about right.
1: We have three from our friend Loki, four from King Ale in the YouTube chat. I think, yeah, five is too much. I think five should just be reserved for just no reservations, no doubts about, the progress that they've done three might be a little bit harsh because they did make more efforts in some areas. And I think they have constructed a more consistently sound roster. So I think four is about right. So let's put that. Um, wow. we got some big ones. Mm-hmm. Yes <laughs> Do you mm-hmm. believe Zach Taylor is the guy that can eventually lead the Bengals to back to the playoffs? I think someone in this, the athletic comic session said that this question deserved multiple responses other than, than just yes or no. But if it is a yes or no, like is, is there enough to say yes, I guess is the whole, it, it goes back to, to the Lombardi conversation where it's not just him being unqualified to be a head coach. Like I think at this point he, he that, that's just who he is and that's just the job title that he has. It's now about, have you seen enough that he can eventually accomplish this with this roster?
0: You know the it's the whole head versus heart. You know my heart says yes, but my head is is making me feel a little bit no on this. Um, I, again, I just I go back to the, this year uh, is gonna it it's gonna tell us everything. Quite honestly. it's not gonna tell us a lot. It's gonna tell us everything. Uh, about Zach Taylor, about this roster, about a lot of the players on the roster, about the assistant coaches, this year is going to tell us a lot. Um, I, I think I think he can uh, lead the Bengals to the playoffs. I don't know. Again, the, the through the playoffs is another discussion there as well. Um, so, I mean, I think when I went through this poll by myself, I think I said yes. Uh, I don't know that I was fully convinced of that answer, though. Eh, we'll put yes for the hell of it
1: <laughs> <laughs> um let's see here when will the bengals break their playoff drought in the next if they do in the next three years I like it's it's kind of easy I think to put this in the middle for 2022 I think um that would be Zach Taylor's last last season if he does not make uh the 2021 playoffs um, he would probably have to in 2022 to, to keep his job it, 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 again like th- this division's tough it's deep it, i know there's there can be three wild card teams now but not every year you're gonna have two of them from the afc north like we saw last year um it, it's it, it is tough to see them do it this year and i know there's so much potential and it's possible but I think the safe answer here is probably 2022. If it
0: does happen, that's, that's the answer for me. 22. Um, I I just, you know, I, I think they could be sneaky and very competitive this year and maybe even sneak into the playoffs. If everything goes right, if they stay very healthy. And like I said, the maturity, the cohesion comes into place and things are, things are moving in a really good direction, but I still think there are too many kinks to, to work out still in this season. You do have a, a quarterback. I think he's going to come back and play great ball this year, but he is coming back from a severe injury. Um there's just a lot of different elements at play here. So I, I still think next year is is kind of the one that uh we would we would look at for this one for me.
1: I think we're gonna do a couple more here, but yep. I, this is this is an interesting one. Will Joe Burrow win? an NFL MVP while with the Bengals. <laughs> I guess, is this assuming that there's a possibility that he leaves the Bengals and wins an MVP? I don't know. I, I um, don't know. But if he wins an MVP, like they're, they're very successful that year. They presumably go to the playoffs, do something in the playoffs. It's hard to see a quarterback becoming an MVP when he wins maybe eight or less games. So this is assuming in Joe Burrow's career with the Bengals, there is a very, very successful season where he's one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the NFL. And I think that's, in, that's entirely possible down the road.
0: I think it's possible. I go back to 2005 and I guess I should, he who shall not be named uh, number nine that year had a very realistic argument for being an NFL MVP. You could even say 2015, Andy Dalton had a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, made that race a little interesting based on what he did before his injury. He was playing lights out when the Bengals went 8-0, and there was very little to no talk or consideration for either of those guys. So, you know, we we can talk about the Ring of Honor thing and the lack of recognition in the Pro Football Hall of Fame just in general with the team. I, I just... You know, uh, I I find it, I find this to be an uphill battle. I don't say, I don't want to say it's hard to believe because I think Joe Burrow can be an amazing quarterback in the NFL. I just think just from so many stigmas that seem to be, uh, I guess, against the Bengals a little bit, I I find it hard to believe. I think he can. Will he? Mm, I I don't know. I, I, I have trouble saying yes to that. If there's one guy
1: who can break through that stigma, it's it someone who is as universally popular with every other fan base as Joe Burrow. Right. Um, it's just a matter of does he have that season that's the equivalent of 2019 LSU. Um, just so that we're not like put on freezing cold takes in 10 years, if this does happen, let's just go right <laughs> and say yes. <laughs> um, let's, let's get... This is this is maybe a good one to end on. Do you feel the Bengals organization respects slash values you as a fan, Anthony
0: Kazenza? John, if you would ask me this, maybe even as early as last year, year before, um, maybe a couple years ago, uh, I started to see some differences last year, and I guess the last couple as well. But major ones this year, I would have said no, um, and I, I would have felt that. You know this ownership group does uh, at times has shown a little bit of the ivory tower mentality and they keep people at arm's length and they favor certain people they don't favor other people but you know uh, as the over the last couple of years my opinion has changed greatly and it hasn't just been you know your really neat experience along with zim and many other folks that you you were able to partake in uh, a few weeks back with the uniform unveiling, or I guess, is that a couple months ago now? God. Um, so it's not just that, uh, that element, you know, um, you you've established a, a good relationship with someone within the organization as well. And it's given us some, some really neat opportunities to interview players on this show and, and others associated with the team. And I, you know, I think they do give us a, you know a, a good level of access as well as a as a fan driven podcast so you know I, I would say over the last couple of years I've seen a big difference in this and that yes they do value me I do have a little bit of a different perspective because I don't live in Cincinnati and I know I don't really have the opportunity I guess I could but I don't it didn't really make financial sense for me to do it, be a season ticket holder. So that element, you know, I think that brings a different element as well to folks. But I, I would say yes, but it's been a very recent thing for me.
1: It is. It has been a very recent thing. And, you know, I, I grew up with this team and for the longest time, you know, there's just been that die-hard sense, you know, like, oh, they're they're my identity. They're my favorite team, yada, yada, yada. Then you get older, then you realize they're, they're just a team. They have no idea who you are personally. You can't love something that can't possibly love you back because they don't know who you are. But over the past couple of years, there has been a, a sense and a change that you know the Bengals kind of realize who they are as an organization. They don't have the, the notoriety of the New England Patriots. The Dallas Cowboys are not worth as much as some of the other more, more, more valuable franchises in this sport and in all of sports. They have to leverage – whatever assets they have. And I think over the past year or two, specifically since Elizabeth Blackburn has gotten there, they recognize the value of their own fans. And I think that they've been trying to elevate those specific voices. Obviously, Bengal Jim comes to mind, the Bangalorean and other, you know, prominent fans in this fan base. And then other fans have started to recognize that, you know, like there is a palpable difference compared to what it, what it has been in the past 30 years under Mike Brown's ownership. Like th- there is a sense that, you know, there is an awareness of who the fans are and what they want. And I think we have seen that difference. And obviously that's not going to be tremendously recognized by the, the fan base as a whole until the progress on the field steps in, but that's never been really the ordinance. Oh, wait, I should watch my word too. That is the organization's job, of course, but that is, the, that's the coaches. That's the players themselves, the front office. They can only do so much in terms of how, to dictate the on-field results go after they build the roster. There have always been things they can do to enhance fan experience and enhance, you know, fan, you know, loyalty and loyalty, you know, even when the results are bad, the results have not been good in the last few years, but that has not stopped the progress in terms of fan engagement from increasing. So I think over the past couple of years, we have seen enough progress where we can click the yes button here.
0: I, I agree. Just one quick little side note. You mentioned Elizabeth Blackburn and, you know, I know she's become quite quite the rock star and rightfully so within that organization. I think, you know, you mentioned a lot of the the mega fans that are out there and that experience that you were able to to be a part of with the uniforms. I I think quite honestly, and I could be just way off this is just a weird little theory of my own, but I kind of was like it, it almost seems that Elizabeth went to ownership or others within the front office and said, look, our fan base, I don't know if you guys realize how rabid this fan base is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you realize how loyal this fan base is. And some of these people that have big followings and um, do all kinds of different things, covering the team and all. I, I I think she kind of opened some eyes going, wow, that's, these are, these people are, are nuts about our football team, you know? And uh, so I think that kind of helped, create a conversation to say, we need to get some of these people more involved in what we're doing and, uh, you know, not be so close the gate on everybody, you know? And I, I think they've done a good job of recognizing that that's kind of who they were. And that's not really who they want to be anymore.
1: Brian in Iowa says the few, the proud. I mean, basically like, I don't know what, how much, how much Bengals fans there are in America compared to every other fan base. But I do know that Huda UK is like the sixth largest uh, UK following for yeah. an nfl team and i don't know any, any other nfl team or any other nfl fan base that rallies you know hundreds of fans to canon ohio to you know protest and su- support their legends for, for being in the hall of fame say what you want about Bengal jim's efforts but you know you don't really see that from a lot of other fan bases because not all other fan bases have to go through that trouble to gain attention for their respected yeah. players so like this is a unique fan base for a unique franchise and i think like you said elizabeth has open eyes and then for an office to kind of recognize that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's fun. That poll that is that uh, Paul Daner, Jr. Jay Morrison of, of the athletic put out there. I think it was on Twitter and you can go on their website to go, to go take that poll is very, some very thought inducing questions there. So uh, check that out. And they always do great work and go, Get yourself a paid subscription to the Athletic to get the great work that they provide there. We're going to transition to a positional preview, and this week we're going to do the linebackers. But before we do, John, we got to tell the folks about Symbol S I M B U L L, and you can go to the website S I M B U uh, L L dot app backslash O B I, and with our promo code O B I, you can get a $10 deposit bonus because Symbol is the stock market for sports where you can invest in the teams that you are passionate about. Or if you're just a savvy investor, you can invest in some of these teams that may not be getting a lot of national love, but could be making some waves. I know the Reds, John, are kind of hanging in there and being scrappy. I think they're right at 500 right now. That's another team. But uh, tell us a little bit more about Symbol if you wouldn't mind, good sir.
1: Exactly. Symbol, like you said, Anthony, is the stock market for sports where you can trade sports teams just like stocks. It really is that simple. Every team has a symbol price attached to it. And that price moves based on the, the user activity. You guys investing, selling, buying on an open market that features the NFL, the MLB, the NBA. And as of July 1st, which is tomorrow, tomorrow from this podcast, college football. For our OSU fans out there, I believe the opening price for the Ohio State Buckeyes, the Sim Buckeyes, is about $64. And if you've been following the program for the last month or two, you know that the Bengals price has been around that range. That price has since dropped to, I believe, in the 50s, $54.25. is The current price for the Sim Bengals, Sim Reds, is I think still around $30. But they're just above $500, and they're definitely trending in the right direction. With that combo, definitely vote in Castellanos and Jesse Winker for the all-star ballot. I think you have one day left to do that as well but that should generate some movement on that market. And if you want to get in on this market and any of these other teams from these four respective leagues, go to www.symbol.app. That's www.simbull.app backslash OBI. Use the promo code OBI to get your $10 deposit bonus when you sign up.
0: Nothing better my friend than making money off some teams that you love whether it is the Cincinnati Bengals whether it is at the college football ranks whether it is the Cincinnati Reds nothing better than investing in those teams and making some money off them it is as it is with stock markets it is a long-term play but uh it's it's a fun it's a fun uh, element that folks can add to their fantasy football repertoire, their sports betting repertoire. It is a bit different than that because it is a stock market for sports, but go check it out. Good stuff. And use that promo code John mentioned OBI for that $10 deposit bonus. Kick us off with the linebackers, my friend. I'll pull up the roster and we could talk about it, but where do you want to start this conversation? Yeah, so this is week three
1: of our positional previews. We previously did the cornerbacks, switched over to offense for tight ends, Going back to the defensive side of the ball for these linebackers. Now, I believe there are a total of eight if you include undrafted free agent Darius Hodge from Marshall. He's also a pass rusher, so he can be kind of considered maybe half a linebacker. But the other linebackers, you probably all know their names. At the top of the depth chart, you have Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt behind them. You have another young guy in King Davis Gaither, the special team seventh, the new captain, pr- presumably of that group, and Jordan Evans. Veteran of the show, Marcus Bailey, who was also from the 2020 draft, Keandre Jones, a first-year player from Ohio State from last year, and then recently claimed Joe Bachi, a Michigan State alum who spent a year in the NFL. These guys round out the group. I think the biggest thing for me, Anthony, compared to past years, is that linebacker has always been a need which has been ironic, considering you know, the previous head coach was a former linebacker, a former linebacker coach. <laughs> and yet in the final 10 years of Marvin Lewis's tenure, linebackers were always a huge weakness and a soft spot in the Bengals defense. It's just been a lot of kind of trying to develop some of these late round draft picks or some of these you know street free agents and getting the most out of them, but that has always led to subpar results. And a big problem with that has been a lack of athleticism, a lack of investment and athletes at the position. Zach Taylor comes in his second off season. He says, all right, you know what? We're going to nuke this position group. We're just going to add athletes and figure out the rest after that. So they drafted Jermaine Pratt in Taylor's first year. He develops into a starter in year two. And in 2020, they draft three linebackers, Logan Wilson, Davis Gaither, Marcus Bailey, Logan Wilson, and Davis Gaither, both play a decent amount as rookies, more in the sub packages and in pass coverage. Davis Gaither is given more of a hybrid role as a, as a you know, a coverage linebacker as a blitzer. Marcus Bailey doesn't really see the field that much because he's dealing with injuries as a rookie, but now he's back to presumably full strength. And you had Josh Bynes last year, who was just the veteran of the group, a a stable starter. He's no longer there as he approaches his mid thirties. And they don't really do anything this off season, which for the first time in a long time, they basically left the position group alone, which Mm -hmm. really does signal to, I think, a newfound trust and a belief that the guys, that the young guys that they have there are going to continue developing in the right direction, which would be something that we haven't seen from this position group in a long time, ever since really in that like that early 2010s group where they had you know Thomas Howard, rest in peace, Francis Perfect, even Ray Maluga in a role that fit him. It's been a while since this group has been anything but a liability, but I think with guys like Wilson, Davis Gaither, and even Bailey playing with Pratt, there is promise that this group can be something more than just a plain liability.
0: You mentioned Marvin Lewis. One, A couple of things that always blew my mind with him was, like you said, the inability to find a long-term stud linebacker, especially with Marvin Lewis's pedigree and the the amount of investments he made at the position, the fact that he was a linebacker coach – um, yeah, you had a couple of really good years from Vontez Burfict. You had the flash in the pan year from Odell Thurman, but he had his own issues. Ray Mauluga had a couple of decent years, but you know he was kind of a limited player. That that always blew my mind that they were unable to kind of get that stud long term anchor. You know, I think we all kind of had hoped that the Bengals would find that Ray Lewis once Marvin Lewis uh, came over, and it, that just never materialized. The other facet to it is that. Marvin Lewis never really got. Uh, he, he stuck with that traditional old-school 4-3, three, three downhill thumper type of uh, linebackers, and he didn't utilize those hybrid guys like a Peter Boulware. He never tried to really find those guys. As often, I mean, he tried to do some different things with guys like Dante Moak and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, those two things always just blew my mind about Marvin Lewis and and the inability to kind of find a long-term star linebacker for this team. Like I said, there were a couple of, you know, kind of flash in the pan things and some decent players, but nothing huge. Transitioning to now, it's a weird dichotomy for me because I think we all kind of have low expectations for this group because of the youth, because of a lack of, I guess, star power in there. You know, you've got a lot of mid-round picks, late-round picks, that sort of thing um, in in this group. But I'm actually kind of secretly excited about some of these young guys in this group, John. I, I think Marcus Bailey, with when healthy, getting a little experience under him, I think he could be a nice player. I think Akeem Davis-Gaither, if you use him the right way and put him in the right packages, I think he can be a really fun player for this defense. And I actually have some pretty high hopes in year two for Logan Wilson. And I, I liked a lot of what I saw out of him. I think he's a, he's a savvy football player based on the massive amount of college experience that he has. And then of course, I think he's a little bit more athletic than people give him credit for. And then, you know, if you take a nice, uh, you know, hopefully Jermaine Pratt takes a nice leap forward in year three and he can kind of be in the mix there. I don't know, man. I, I know expectations are low, but like you said, the overall athleticism, the youth and just the overhauling of this group, I, I, I kind of, it's almost like, man, man, some of these things have to start materializing after a while. I mean, they got to start hitting on some of these guys. And it looked like at least at the very least with Logan Wilson, it looked like the Bengals may have hit on him going forward.
1: Wilson is like, is the difference maker. He's the guy who's going to be highlighted in this position group, because the biggest difference is you're inserting him as a starter, replacing Josh Bynes from last year next to Jermaine Pratt as As the the guy when they're out there for 70% of the snaps when they only have two linebackers out there. And I remember when they drafted in like there was, I think Dave Lapham name dropped him after the first round as a potential guy to look for in the second round, right? If like T Higgins wasn't there, like there was a chance that Logan Wilson could have been that second round pick. And then they drafted Logan Wilson at the top of the third round. It was kind of met with mixed emotions because they hadn't drafted an offensive lineman at that point. There was like Josh Jones, who was still available. So yeah, I think yeah. most people, you know, they liked Logan Wilson as a prospect, but they thought, is it too early for this guy? And there was also the third round stigma to it. I mean, going back in the last, you know, handful of years in the Marvin Lewis era, you had Paul Dawson, Nick Vigil, like yeah. Jordan Willis, Malik Jefferson. I don't know why Jordan Willis was in there, but, and then even Jermaine Pratt, who's still yet to show you know, to be a decent starter, like there was there's the stigma of that position group in that round. You're thinking, is Wilson going to be that next guy? But I I think I agree with you. I think he definitely has the chance to be far and away the best one of that group. And it's not going to take much compared compared to the rest of the names that I just mentioned. But I think Wilson has legitimate on field spatial awareness and athleticism. And, you know, he's I mean, he's kind of an old guy for his experience he's going to be 25 in a Mm -hmm. week here so he's already on the older side but he started 50 games in college at wyoming so he's got the experience he knows what he's doing out there it's it is hard for linebackers to kind of come in immediately and be assets it's it's a tough position to transition quickly into the nfl especially coming from a smaller school in, in wyoming but i think that is the guy that they're counting on the most to make this jump because he's going to be playing a lot more snaps a lot more snaps against the run that was probably his biggest Point of weakness last year, especially against the Browns, and in, in, in that in those first couple of games against them, he was terrible filling in gaps against Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. That's going to be the biggest difference. Can he just play sound physical football, but also be an asset in space because he is one of their better athletes, and that that just, that will just make such a big difference because it just in years past, just haven't had guys that know where to be and guys that take piss poor angles and just never oh, find their spots right. Like it, it's it's been terrible and it's it it has shifted the perception of how important linebackers are they're not as important as your pass rushers or your cornerbacks but they can't be as bad as they have been years past but I think Logan Wilson is on the right path to do something positive with that along with Akeem Davis Akeem Davis Gaither who I think Matt Minnick has said he is his potential breakout player of the season and I can understand why you know a a guy who's kind of a, a special unique body build he doesn't have a lot of experience as a true linebacker but he was given a lot of opportunities last year on third down and pass coverage. He made some plays on the ball, too. I think he had, like, three dropped interceptions. I think Sports Info Solutions tracked yes. him with that. Like, <laughs> some of those are going to fall. Like, he's he's got great eyes and great instincts in space, and I think him and Wilson are going to make a great tandem for years to come.
0: That's where I was. One of the elements where I was going next was the dropped interceptions. I know Logan Wilson had a couple. I think he may have had a dropped one in there. Uh, you mentioned the dropped interceptions by Akeem Davis Gaither. I mean, these are the things that these guys, not, not just them, but other players as well. I mean, the corners in recent years for the Bengals have had the dropsies of interceptions that they should have had. These are the things that turn the tide of a game. And they need to start corralling these interceptions, not only from this position group, but the defensive backfield. So good call on the dropped interceptions. That is something that just needs to be cleaned up. Even if you get half of those, it's like a completely different, completely different thing. I want to, I want to talk about this. It's a comment. Um, a couple comments from Loki, by the way, I gotta, I gotta catch up on that, uh, series there, Loki. Um, Basically, I hope we can stop the run we got ran on crazy last year. You mentioned a couple of the Browns games, that's just been a theme over the past couple of years. Obviously, the Ravens and what Lamar Jackson does that's an issue. But I think the experience, the gained experience from this young group, and the athleticism hopefully will pay off. But we have to remember. Geno Atkins wasn't in the lineup. DJ Reader missed a lot of time last year. Those are two guys who are very able against the run and can can, you know, eat up blockers and whatnot for these guys to make plays and those guys were not in the lineup for a good chunk of the year for the aiding of these this linebacker group. So we know there's, you know, multiple layers to run defense, but when you don't have some of your best players on that you would use on rundowns, Geno Atkins, DJ reader and others. And you're trotting out guys on the defensive line. Like we mentioned, not only from a pass rush perspective, but an interior defensive lineman perspective that are really low down the depth chart totem pole. um, That's going to obviously have an effect on the run defense. At least that's something that I thought of when I saw these comments from Loki.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like defensive tackle depth was terrible last year and it was Frankly, unfair for some of these linebackers just learning the ropes, having to you know be confused about what gap they're supposed to be in when the guys in front of them are getting bulldozed off the line. It was just a recipe for disaster. And hopefully, there's more stability there with Reader staying healthy, Larry Ogunjobi, Mike Daniels patrolling a three technique. You have a bunch of bodies there. tyler Shelvin is going to occupy yeah, all space. Yeah, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah, Whatever snaps he has, just stay behind him. You'll, 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 you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I guess really it it, it comes down to. I guess five or six total players at when the final 53 comes out, like if for a team that isn't going to play three linebackers on the field very much outside of two games against the Ravens, when that's really their base defense, it's hard to see them keeping six. And also it's hard to see a sixth linebacker out of this group kind of being worth a spot compared to maybe like a ninth or 10th offensive lineman, a 10th or 11th defensive tackle, a, a sixth or a seventh wide receiver, um, you know, Kandre Jones, Joe Bocci, Darius Hodge, guys that would gladly fill out a practice squad and you'd be confident, confident with that. But I think after Bailey and Evans, two guys who are going to be on special teams, it's hard to see them kind of keeping a six out of this group.
0: I agree with you. The only thing is, is how who who's Darren Simmons going to pound the table for, for his for his units? right? I mean, I, we we talked last week when we were talking about tight ends and what can Thad Moss do potentially on special teams? Can he do some of the things that Stephen Carter brought? Uh, We we talked uh, about, we will talk about the wide receiver group and, you know, how does that back end work out, especially with punt return, kick return, all that kind of stuff still up for discussion. So this is one of those position groups as well that, how hard is Darren Simmons going to pound the table for a guy like Jordan Evans? Jordan Evans is one of the few Marvin Lewis holdovers on this team. And they specifically re-signed him. They brought him back. Um, And I thought for sure that, you know, free agent Jordan Evans, I thought he's Marvin Lewis guy. He'd be gone. And uh, I think that not only they wanted a little bit of experience in this group, but I think just my own theory on it is I, I think Darren Simmons is entrust that guy, on some special teams work, so uh, I, I think, like you said, based on their limited usage of this position group, it would be hard to justify a sixth guy. But again, what does Darren Simmons want? And I think he's got a lot of pull in that in that uh, coaching staff there in terms of roster construction.
1: I think Jeff Hobson wrote on Bengals.com recently that Jordan Evans has the most games played as a Bengal on this entire defense now with sixty, <laughs> which wow. is kind of mind-boggling a little bit, but. Yeah, that's that's Simmons's guy. Like he's lost Clayton Fege- Fedulum in 2019. He lost uh, Seathan Carter this past free agency. Evans is probably going to be his new captain on special teams. He has the most experience with those units, and when he's on the field, he made some plays last year. So, perfect guy to have as your third, fourth linebacker, special teams ace. And Marcus Bailey, I, I think, like he was definitely talented enough to be drafted somewhere in the first three or four rounds. Mm -hmm. Two drafts to go, but it was injuries that shot him all the way down to the seventh. But, you know, seventh round picks, they sometimes do things in Bengals uniforms. And I think like Jermaine Pratt, we haven't really talked about him that much. Like he's kind of on the hot seat a little bit entering year three, hasn't really established himself as a decent starter yet. Like Bailey and Davis, they're going to be hungry for his job. And I think Bailey's, you know, physical makeup and his experience as a true linebacker, I think it gives him a, a decent chance to really do something if Pratt starts to slip
0: couldn't agree with you more on that i like i said i think it's a big year for jermaine pratt to show some growth here but i think if we were to make a prediction as we sit here now based on the names here um i think we've got wilson pratt evans gaither bailey and then what you've got maybe batchy as the, as the guy that, that could come in and uh, sneak onto the roster. Remember, the team brought in Austin Kalitro last year, and and they had so much linebacker bodies slash talent that they shipped him and needed some defensive line help because of the Geno Atkins stuff. So, um, And they got Christian Covington out of that deal. So, um, you know, I don't know if there's kind of a similar situation there and or if they – maybe that's their quote-unquote veteran addition <laughs> – as weird as that may seem to the group instead of a Josh Bynes. But I, I would assume he would be the, the guy who would be kind of on that bubble. Right.
1: Yeah. And again, they can, they can keep him on the practice squad. If, if he clears waivers, mm-hmm. I know that the Eagles were trying to get him back or maybe the saints or something. I don't know. There, there is still interest out there if he um, were to hit the waiver wire again, but also you saw Von Bell whose role is not going to change that much. He plays a lot in the box. Mm-hmm. And I think again, the biggest the big emphasis this year was to have actual depth at both defensive and offensive line. And when they construct this 53 man roster, it's hard to see them go less than nine in each group. And when you have you know that many bodies of those those two position groups, you have to go light somewhere. And I think if they go light anywhere on this roster, it's probably linebacker.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, anything else for this position preview before we we bounce on out of here that you want to touch on, John?
1: No bad numbers on this group, you know, like <laughs> I, like the, the, there's the new rule for linebackers or for any defensive player going into the single digits. I'm not sure if anyone outside of maybe Davis Gaylor could rock a single digit. I know he was like 24 in college. I want to say at App yeah, State, like that. but yeah. Logan Wilson, a strong 55 Jermaine Pratt, 57 uh, davis gaither 59 marcus bailey 51 some some strong solid numbers for linebackers there
0: old school linebacker jersey numbers right there for yeah. sure let's drop the mic and get on out of here uh, i can't believe we still almost win an hour on a quote unquote light show what do you have for us before we bounce out john
1: uh no, nothing much just happy early birthday to my mom she's watching out there um also a current happy birthday to our friend Jake Lisko of Locked On Bengals. We had a birthday last week on the show, Zim Hude, who was recording and interviewing uh, T. Higgins' mother uh, last week. He turned an unknown age. I think Jake is somewhere in his 50s now, so happy birthday to Jake <laughs> Was it Lisco. today? It was Jake's today? Yeah, it was today. Oh, and okay. Happy birthday, Jake. I, I hope, Jake, if you're listening, you're not scorching to death in the Pacific Northwest with that heat wave going on, so stay cool and stay happy. Happy birthday, man.
0: Yeah, I I didn't. I've been away from Twitter today. So if there was a lot of birthday wishes to Jake, I missed those. But uh, happy birthday, Jake. That's awesome, dude. Um, I don't really have all that much either, except to say, again, I, I want to do a little bit of a rally cry to our listeners that we really want to make this charity thing we're doing. We want to make it uh, impactful and we want to make it a fun event and we want to make it you know, about uh, some things that you are passionate about as well. We're all passionate about the Bengals, but if there are some specific foundations that current or former players, coaches, whatever are involved with and, or run, we would love to hear about that in case we uh, have omit some. And if you have ideas in terms of, you know, I don't know, prizes or whatever. uh, If you've got some feedback, we want to hear it because it's a new thing we're trying and we want to make a big impact and we want to make it, as smooth as possible for an inaugural one. So, uh, get at us and tell us, tell us some feedback. We would, we would love to hear it. John, happy early birthday, man. We'll, uh, we'll be talking uh, next week or something. You're, uh, I want you, you, you go celebrate, you go have some fun along with your mom, Mrs. Sheeran, happy birthday. And, uh, Thanks everybody for tuning in. We will see you next time on the orange and black insider Bengals podcast for John. I am Anthony Have a great rest of the week. Hey, everybody have a good, have a good fourth, be safe and have some fun, but uh, have a good fourth. We'll see you next time.